0: Here is iUniverse Radio with host, Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, Psychology of Executive Retirement, From Fear to Passion. And the author is Doug Treen, and Doug joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Doug.
2: Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Well, this has a lot of emotions in it. It's fact. It's not fiction. Tell us why you focused on the retiring executive.
2: Well, Steve, uh, as a senior HR executive, I dealt with a lot of coaching of executives. And this was, retirement is an issue that executives tend to push off, except, of course, for financial planning. But I'm dealing with the psychological aspects. And I could see a lot of. Fear and avoidance of the issue. Let's face it, executives have spent, and most professionals have spent a lifetime of education, working very hard in their profession, and they've devoted their whole life to date to attain what they've attained in their role within the corporation, within their profession, within their field. And to start contemplating walking away from that, it's it's something that you really have never uh, done seriously, and this is what the book's about, to try to help the professional begin the process of life planning so they can start to think of life beyond the profession, and this is a huge challenge.
1: Many executives fear retirement because they think it's going to be boring.
2: And, you know, I heard uh, so many horror stories that executives give me feedback about, uh, I heard, you know, this person's retired, and they're not just bored, they're incredibly bored. They don't know what to do, they're, they're uh, bouncing off the walls. And, and so this is why I wrote the book. I wanted to come up with a solution and uh, to help executives undergo this transition. So the goal is to help millions of retiring baby boomers that are quite educated people. So somehow we need to overcome this huge gap between leaving a highly stimulating profession and retiring.
1: Well, it sounds like instead of focusing like they've done for decades on the corporate uh, entity, whatever they've been running, they need to focus that same kind of analysis on their own life.
2: Exactly, absolutely. So an executive, uh, you get feedback of retiring executives, they miss the adulation, they miss the feedback, they miss the the role. It's
1: almost an addiction.
2: It is an addiction in a lot of cases to the corporation, to the power they've attained, addiction to their success, addiction to the role where you've got uh, people all around you, you've got a system in place of people working around you. You're an orchestra leader. you become addicted to standing up in front of the orchestra and having that sense of, of power to the music of the corporation. And yet, in retirement, the orchestra is gone. And to be waving the baton in front of the mirror is an empty experience and quite boring. So how does an, a talented executive undergo this transition process.
1: And that, there, excuse me, and there's probably fear of, of health problems after you leave the corporate world.
2: Well, absolutely. The, the stress of losing this role, stress is very much correlated, that's been proven to cancer, heart attack, the stress of, of having to find yourself in retirement because who you were no longer exists. The corporate being we talk about in the book, which people will say, I am my work. So you become your role in a lot of ways. That's your self-identity, and your self-esteem is based on that. How do you now, in retirement, take a talented person and give them just as much satisfaction and stimulation of life that they had before? And book. Shows the executive or the professional the way through this transition process through life planning and personal transformation, and and this is basically the inspiration for writing the book.
1: It's very difficult often to look in the mirror and you know ask that
2: big question: Who am I? Absolutely, it, this is this is uh, executives don't have to ask that question because. Their job description tells them, their their corporate feedback tells them, but you know there's no job description that can is that's big enough to capture the talent of any executive or professional because these are very talented people, and I've I've seen the frustration many have had having to compromise their own talents to fit into a job box, and so the key to this transition in retirement, is to expand one's sense of self around what you're capable of and to gain a new sense of purpose because in the corporation, the purpose is defined for us through the corporate mission, through the job goals. That becomes our identity and our corporate mission. So now we need to reinvent that purpose and mission on an individual basis. And this is what the book will help professional do to reinvent oneself in retirement so that retirement isn't really the traditional retirement it it is a new experience a new opportunity and so this is what the book is about
1: obviously this is a process a process of thinking analyzing probably even even feeling so how what kind of advice do you give to the executive who is Looking down the road to retirement, how, when do they begin the process of this this transition into a
2: whole new life? Oh, that's an excellent question, Steve. And a lot of people think, well, this this book is written for someone on the day they retire; they just read it, and then they they undergo a transition process of self discovery. But no, this is a a book written for someone ten years away from retiring, as they as they start to re. Discover their real talent and what they want to do for the rest of their lives after retirement. Usually by the time someone's in their 50s, they've got their job on autopilot. They're fairly secure. They're professionally established. Their job's often on autopilot. Not a lot of hard work Their education is done. But now the real education begins. Who am I without my job? What, what is my passion and purpose that I really want to devote my life to? beyond the corporate mission. What can I do that's unique to me, given my particular talents that I have a belief and a passion for and a cause that I want to work towards beyond my job? And, and so process is one of moving from the collective mission where we're simply one of many into an individual mission where we're unique where it's only you as an individual working towards very special, meaningful goals. And we show the executive how to move towards that well before the actual retirement date because then often it's too late. The retirement shock of ending up with with none of that in place can can be bad for one's health because it's highly stressful to go through this sensory deprivation being in a highly stimulating corporate or professional environment, into being at home and wondering what happened. You're on top of the world in terms of role, power, psychic rewards, everything, and all of a sudden, boom, you're, you're so-called uh, retired. It's, it's a shock. So preparing to avoid that is the key, and the book shows the professional how to avoid that and to plan through light planning to be ready for it and to move beyond. In fact, we we espouse, I should, should say the book espouses uh, leaving early on the corporate environment. So you're ready, almost entrepreneurially ready as an individual, to move beyond the, the collective definition of of yourself as a professional.
1: How do you know when you're ready?
2: Well, when you when you are thinking more about your own personal meaning and and vision for what you want to accomplish for society, for others, for for even starting an own business, when you're thinking about that more than you are your job, that's time to move into something much more individually based as opposed to collective based.
1: And I guess that uh, thinking is part of... Finding your new passion, you know, how to find that passion as you, whatever you're attracted to or you gravitate to is probably where you should be.
2: Exactly, exactly. And this, finding that and basing your future vision for your life on that passion and your own personal purpose in life is a lot less stressful than trying to live the life of a, really the false uh, self borrowed from the corporation. Because you can't take that with you in retirement. Or the false self borrowed from your profession. You've learned maybe all these professional uh, things and have uh, numerous degrees. But now, it's all about you. What is it you really want to attain with the rest of your life? So, it's moving, it's really... Maslow's concept of self-actualization, and Maslow had it best. You know, the corporate role can only fulfill your low, lower-level needs, and now it's an opportunity to fulfill your highest-level needs, and, th- and that's really through a process of the intellectual side, your spiritual side, or your artistic side, and not from an abstract point of view, but gearing those talents that you have to helping others making a difference in society or making a unique contribution that's based on your talent and your passion for those purposes. So this is what the book is trying to do. And the the the, the happiness and satisfaction one can get by making that transition is very, lowers stress and, and will help you live a much more dynamic uh, retirement life and we argue that the creativity process of doing this extends life because it lowers stress and reengages the professional to redefine retirement from the traditional to this highly engaged purposeful form of retirement so this this is basically the goal of the book Create a new paradigm of retirement.
1: It requires some clear thinking, some relaxed pondering. It requires confidence that uh, you've just begun to live, it sounds like.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: A new adventure.
2: It is. The the opportunity is that this could be the best stage of your life as opposed to living a has-been.
1: You're no longer uh, constricted and limited by the uh, design of the corporate world. Now, all of a sudden, the
2: door has been flung wide open in your life. And the freedom can be highly stressful unless you undergo this process, because you don't know where to start.
1: You know, and it seems, in talking to you, it seems uh, like it's obvious, because a corporate executive, obviously, is well-educated, well-experienced, probably through the years, has taken other uh, uh, courses to help him to get fine-tuned, and yet so many think they're just going to launch themselves, I guess, into retirement without any preparation, that, you know, it's almost like a mental block, that they've got a breakthrough or an emotional block.
2: It is, absolutely. And they think if they've got the financial plan in place.
1: Right, money is the key.
2: Uh, uh, Anything is is possible. Uh, They don't have to do this. And yet money will not buy this, what we're trying to give the executive, right. the professional. You cannot buy because it's uniquely based on who you are, your talent, and your passion for certain causes. You know, your your calling in life, your God-given calling of, is unique to you and your passion and your talent. Well, for
1: the entrepreneur who has created a successful business or been invited into uh, a, a growing business, whatever the, uh, the situation, you have to, you know, creation takes a lot of energy and a, a lot of thought and a, a lot of en- uh, drive. And it's the same, what you're saying, it's the same as you launch yourself into
2: retirement. This thinking like an individual and being creative is a lot similar to starting your own business in a sense. Because you're, you're entrepreneurial re engineering your life. And it may involve making money, may not. Right. It depends on the individual. But it's, it's getting the purpose and things you have a passion for. A lot of people are, are comfortable and bored on their, in their corporate roles and could be highly successful starting their own enterprise or doing even a nonprofit or something which they can use their talents for in a very entrepreneurial way.
1: Yeah, I remember my great-uncle, who uh, was a tremendous gardener, but he was always afraid to take the step out of you know the uh, manufacturing world, which he was in, to open his own uh, hot you know, greenhouse and do all the things that have become uh, so popular. And then after he retired, he did it, and it was very successful. But he could have done it even sooner.
2: Wow, that's a perfect example. And so if you look at, look at your own talents and what you really care for and you're inspired to do... Uh, it gives you the courage to make the transition out of the corporate uh, collective role you're in into something more individual. The, I mean, the parable that I'm trying to avoid and help people is remember Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman. And when, when was it Willie, uh, lost his job as a salesman because he was kind of old-fashioned in his technique, he didn't understand what was going on, and he He died. Because of the stress of not of losing one's role and identity, All right, and nothing to live for, so I'm trying to avoid. That's an extreme case, but there's there's a lot of people still that undergo that stress unless they prepare themselves like we help them in this book.
1: Well, Doug, tell us how to get your book.
2: Well, the book is available through my website www for you, that's number four, letter u.com, executive retirement for you.com. It can be ordered there, and it's available at amazon.com. It's available through most bookstores. And uh, it's a uh, it's a paperback, twenty three ninety five. And I hope uh, our listeners have a chance to uh, read the book.
1: Well, we appreciate you sharing all your thoughts and insights uh, from your new book and your whole life passion of your own. Doug, thank you for being on iUniverse Radio.
2: Steve, thanks for having me on the show. I enjoyed talking to you.
1: That was Doug Treen. He is the author of his book, Psychology of Executive
0: Retirement from Fear to Passion. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: East Texas, Meals on Wheels needs your help. For the first time in 35 years, Meals on Wheels has a waiting list for meals. Currently, we serve more than 3,500 meals per day. With the help of donors and volunteers, we can eliminate the waiting list and serve more meals and ensure all who need a hot, nutritious meal are served. You can call our offices, toll free at 1-800-451-2912 to find out more about how you can help. You can also visit our website at www.MealsOnWheelsEastTexas.org. Again, toll free at one 800 451 or visit us on the web at www.MealsOnWheelsEastTexas.org. After all, when a person needs a meal, they need it today, not tomorrow. Thank you for helping Meals on Wheels. Ever wondered how you can make a difference in someone's life when you don't have a lot of time or money to give? Well, the East Texas Crisis Center and Tyler Ford have partnered in a way that helps everyone. For just $10, you can win a limited edition autographed Shelby GT Mustang that has been donated to the Crisis Center by Tyler Ford. All the money stays right here in East Texas and helps victims of domestic violence and sexual assault. To get your ticket, call 903-579-2500. That's 903-579-2500.
4: Saturdays on TogiNap.com. It's Author Talk. Get the story behind the story on fiction and literature, graphic novels, horror, mystery and crime novels, romance, science fiction and fantasy, westerns, history, humor, inspiration, and every genre. It's all on Author Talk. You'll get to hear new authors talk about their books. Take the opportunity to hear insights on what inspired them to write it. It's called Author Talk on Toginet.com. And it's presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their book around the world. Author House has assisted more than 30,000 authors, producing over 40,000 titles. Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen every Saturday on Toginet.com. Radio for the cutting edge. Welcome back. To
0: iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, A Full Grown Man, and the author is Bill Hunt. And Bill joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Bill.
5: Hi, how are you, Steve?
1: Well, tell us about why you wrote your book, A Full Grown Man.
5: My first book, uh, a few years back. Turned out to be a little bit more successful than what I really thought a first novel would be. And I loved writing, so I jumped into this new one. And full-grown man is just filled with a lot of people I've known at some time. Some were beautiful, some are u- ugly. You know how that goes in life. But I took their personalities and developed into little stories about them. And the twists and the turns in the stories are nothing more than... What most people have in just living a life, a little messiness at times, a little uh, uniqueness maybe, but it's still life, and there are many more characters in my mind that are just hanging around there. One day they'll probably motivate me to write another book, maybe.
1: They're all crying out for some at- well, attention, right?
5: They want attention, and they want <laughs> they have stories to tell.
1: Right. Well, it sounds like a realistic book about life because life is certainly, like you say, it can be messy and it's all how we deal with it, right?
5: That's right. That's the way that these characters dealt with it. That's the stories.
1: So the main characters, would you say, are Ben and Anna?
5: That's correct. Ben, young boy, country boy, raised on a farm, very mundane, very inexperienced and Likes a lot of sophistication, and uh, Anna, of course, is a little bit older and a little bit wiser from the big city of New York and Philadelphia. And uh, she takes him in, and that's his story—the story of uh, really of Ben—and he tells the story.
1: So, why did they get together? What brought them together?
5: Well, the uniqueness of this situation is that this little town. Uh, it's probably a fairly elitist little town in a, the woodlands and the backwoods of Louisiana, and uh, she would come because that was the place that uh, her mother in Philadelphia would send her, supposedly to keep her out of trouble, et cetera. You know, apparently uh, that was a good idea. And, of course, young Ben uh, fell in love with Anna. She's a little bit older, and... They turned out to, to be fairly good friends and lovers during the, the summer of his 17th year in Goldust. And, um,
1: and that's a real place, Goldust, Louisiana.
5: That is a real place. It's not the place that uh, I remember as a young child and boy, but it's still there and it's still real. But of course, a lot different.
1: Now there's Ava, who plays a very important part in Ben's life.
5: Well, I'm not too sure if Ava isn't really the uh, the the main character insofar as if you look at her as a heroine. <coughs> Excuse me, but um, Ava does play a very important part. She's she's a strong woman, and she knows Ben. She loved him, and. Uh, ben was fortunate in his lifetime to have two women who both loved him. And that was important. Ava was, was a very important, or is a very important character in the book.
1: Yeah, you uh, call her strong and vibrant.
5: Yeah, she was She's strong a and vibrant. She's a leader. <laughs> She's a leader. You have to deal with certain situations.
1: And men lust over her, you say. Well,
5: I would think that somewhere some reader uh... as the book may appeal to different uh... people and so forth and so on. i think there that men, there's always an ava scratching around in the, in the backyard of a man's mind and uh... i think that that uh, that's a good thing
1: are you saying women will really love your story
5: well i think any any female Because it's a soft, tender story. It's a love story. I think any female age 16 or 17 on up, but particularly those who are entering a new phase in their lives, usually around 40 or 45, and the uh, the older women. And I think to some degree this is, is true because these women have reached a point where in their lives, the older ladies, the older women, where they can appreciate a man like Ben. And Ben was a manly man. He, uh, I think they can appreciate him, and they can love him, and they'll fall in love with him, I hope, right from the very start. So we'll just have to wait and see. But I think women will really like the book. I think that it'll appeal to them very, very much.
1: And you say they'll probably hate Anna at first.
5: Well, Anna, Anna was a little bit... She was. uh, First of all, she was older than than Ben. She came from the big city. She was a sophisticated young woman. She was determined in her her uh, in a future that people generally had difficulty believing. And she was determined to do her thing, and she did it. And later, uh, through through the years, she became a little bit wiser. And certain secrets that came out and were revealed. She was willing to accept, and she grew during the pages of the book. She grew into a much stronger, and probably you, the reader would think, a better woman, and uh, I think that was true.
1: Well, you say she was doing her thing. What is Anna's thing?
5: Anna's thing was art. She was big into art. She was a trained artist. Her long-range plans was to become a world-renowned artist, and she she did that. She, she uh, went to Paris, and of course, Ben pursues her in Paris and New York and so forth. And I think the trip to Paris primarily uh, convinced him of certain things that would or would not happen in his life. But she pursued her career in art, and she accomplished that. And uh, I think that was important in the book that, uh, that she did. So that's where she stood.
1: What's this family farm problem for Ben?
5: Well, Ben, in the mundane life of rural Louisiana, particularly in the years of the late forties and fifties, no one no one wanted to remain on a farm and in this particular case Ben with his buddy uh had always planned to leave Goldust. Everybody left Goldust. Uh and by way of the Goldust Bridge, so forth uh, and so on, granting passage, et cetera, in search of a better life outside of the mundane situation in the farming communities. And that was Ben's idea. That was his plans, his long-range plans, to go off to college and he and his buddy would live a life outside of farming, outside of the community which they'd grown up in. So that all came to a quick halt, and of course uh uh Ben uh, blamed himself in a lot of cases and blamed a lot of others and lost lost track of his own his own uh future and he just was upset about that you know and carried that with him for many many years we all try to find somebody else to blame for some something that didn't go right and i don't think that uh my young character there was any different than any of the rest of us.
1: Now tell us about Mrs. Margaret. She was very important to both Ben and Anna.
5: Well, Ms. Margaret was uh, a very well-educated, elegant woman uh, from the Northeast. She'd been more or less uh, made her life in this rural, little rural community of gold dust sort of in the backwoods of Louisiana and she and her mother and that that was a uh, trying situation which was thrust upon her by a family matriarch and she, uh, she had to live through that but she was one of the mainstays throughout the entire book. She was a strong woman and uh, the readers will just have to read that because the attachment Uh, of these characters, the intertwining of the characters uh, is very, very important uh, for the reader to grab hold to and see how even our lives today we're we're so intertwined and uh, back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, we didn't have the, the cell phones and the communication and in the backwoods there weren't even the the telephones that we know of is the landline today. And uh, the the difficulty in seeing forward or looking forward uh, was not as easy as it is today. But nevertheless, we all had, people all had plans and so forth. And Miss Margaret was just one of those who had the typical ideas of a well-educated, high-class woman. She plays a very important part, but I just feel like the reader needs to understand the intertwining of the characters as they develop uh, throughout the book. Uh, we intertwine today, but we do it on the cell phone. We're hang up. It's all over with. That didn't happen then. We had time to think, and we had time to evaluate, wonder whether... Some of these, this intertwining was good or bad. A lot of cases it was bad. So, but Miss Margaret was a very, very important character.
1: You say that life is seldom perfect. Don't beat yourself up for events over which you have no control. You're trying to help us uh, resolve problems and, and through your characters, are they resolving these kinds of problems?
5: Some of them do. Some of them don't. And... You know, we all have a tendency to regret some of the things that we do. And no doubt there has to be some remorse somewhere that pops out and we grab hold to it and move on. Some of these characters couldn't do that, but most of them did. None of them were perfect. And there were, there's really, in a full grown man, there's really no hero and there's no heroine. They're all just simple characters who lived a life and, and they enjoyed pieces of it and others of it, they scratched it and tore it up. But they ended up somehow along the, along the way uh, uh, living a fairly decent, good life. And that's the way we are today, in my opinion.
1: Did they learn to forgive themselves and others?
5: They had to. They had no... They, that was one of the first steps. And I've dealt with with families for many, many years and dealt with individuals for many, many years. And one of the biggest problems in overcoming uh, any situation is paranoia and self-degradation that people place upon themselves, even in today's world, which is very, very bad.
1: Ben seems to have a hard time talking about his mother. Is that true?
5: Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. And no doubt that a lot of uh, males in this in today's society, uh, the mother is an important figure, and some of them uh, uh, today have difficulty relieving themselves of the responsibilities that their mother places upon them and the demands that are made by a mother. And Ben's case was probably a little bit more extreme for extenuating circumstances uh, about his mother, which I think are, comes out in, in the book. And um, I, I think that uh, he had difficulty, but he eventually realized that he not only forgive himself, but uh, he had to forgive his mother for some of the things that she had done.
1: Now, the stories move fast, and there's great dialogue spoken the way people talk
5: well i you know <laughs> i what I read today sometimes is just so far above my head of course i i'm just i I have no more than a college education i haven't gone gone through academia to the extent that a lot of people particular writers have done today, but I like to sit down and turn the light up in the corner of the room and read something that I can touch something I can just feel through words, but they have to be the words that, that we speak, the words that, that we, uh, we know are, are maybe correct and et cetera, but the way that we talk and the way that we speak.
1: Maybe even with a Southern dialect as even well, right? With
5: a, even with a Southern dialect, which no doubt in my mind, everybody listening uh, right at this moment will realize I'm from the South. And uh, I, it's for no other reason than the fact that this is the way that I talk, I talk this way. So.
1: Well, we have about a minute left, Bill. Uh, a question was asked of Ben in a couple of sentences. How would you sum up your life? How did it turn out, Ben?
5: Well, I really, well, I feel like by the last page, I feel like Ben's life probably turned out well. However, I don't want to get too involved in it, see, from the standpoint that uh, Ben, even though he had overcome a lot of adversity in his personal life, etc., did things that young men are sometimes uh, disappointed, makes them disappointed in themselves. I think it turned out all right, but I don't want to uh, let on to any potential reader. Uh, I know how Ben's life turned out, but I, I'm going to let them decide when they read that that last page in the book, and they'll just have to decide for themselves.
1: Well, Bill, how do we get your book?
5: Well, it's available on Internet right now through Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and Books a Million and, all of the big stores, internet stores, and it'll probably be available in the smaller bookstores in another two weeks. three weeks. And uh, uh, I, I, uh, I just feel like uh, generally the public will, I hope, enjoy it. Well,
1: we appreciate you being on iUniverse Radio.
5: Well, it's my pleasure, and
0: I, I think this is fantastic.
1: Well, that was Bill Hunt. He is the author of his book,
0: a full-grown man. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back
4: right after these messages. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on toginet.com. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16 year old author with her first thought provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360 page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives? in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores.
0: Welcome back. To iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, Remember Me, and the author is Omid Olfett, and Omid joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Omid. Uh, Hi. Well, this is uh, a mystery, Uh, it's also a thriller. It has a lot of suspense. It even has the supernatural in it. Remember me now. Tell us why you wrote the book.
6: Uh, Well, a few years ago, uh, I uh, got inspired uh, by a news I heard on a TV. Actually, I heard it. uh, It was an incident that uh, police got somebody shot. As I remember, it was injured. So... That that was the starting point. How I got inspired.
1: So this incident that uh, happened, where someone was shot and injured, yeah, exactly. did, did it that just kind of give you a, a, a kind of an idea, and and it went from there. I mean, the...
6: exactly. That was the the inspiration. So it comes from a true true story. Not uh, it's not the the story itself is a fiction, but. Uh, the way I got inspired was from a true story.
1: Now, the beginning of your book opens up uh, with, you know, something that uh, just kind of surprises you when you all of a sudden realize that uh, this person that is the focus of the beginning of the book is a ghost.
6: Yes, exactly. Uh, well, his name
1: uh, and his name is Ernest, right? Yes,
6: exactly.
1: One of the main characters. Uh,
6: yes, one of the main characters.
1: So tell us about Ernest.
6: Uh, Well, uh, uh, he's, uh, as I said, uh, one of the main characters uh, that uh, the story starts with and uh, uh, goes on and on. Uh, He was uh, driving uh, uh, the car, and uh, it happened uh, that the uh, police uh, was chasing him uh, because of... uh, uh, over speed or whatever I, haven't, I i didn't mention in the story, but uh, for some reason that uh, uh, he was, uh, the police was chasing uh, Ernest and uh, uh, warned him uh, to stop uh, but after a few warnings he didn't stop, and uh, he the police started shooting. And, um, uh, at the same time, uh, he was driving, Ernest was driving on the road. Uh, the truck was coming from the opposite direction and, uh, uh a horrible accident happened. So that is the beginning of the
1: story. So he is killed in the accident.
6: <laughs> exactly. So, but, uh, it's, uh, uh, kind of, you know, it's, uh, kind of sort of my style, uh, to, um, make it somehow a question. At the same time, I make some parts clear, 100% clear to the reader, but uh, I make some parts as a mystery. I put it like a, as a question mark in the reader's mind. So the reader needs to do something about to answer some questions. What happened? Did the police kill him? Or uh, what, the accident, the truck comes and uh, 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 the car uh, uh, goes uh, well, uh, the driver, after the driver gets killed, okay, uh, the car uh, goes in a different direction. I mean uh, uh, from the other side the truck is coming, so the car is going uh, uh, on the side that the truck is coming so uh, uh, an accident happens. Well, it didn't. I haven't mentioned that, that. Really, the police killed him, or those after shooting, he killed the driver or not? I haven't mentioned that, but uh, well, it's up to the reader to uh, judge about that.
1: So Ernest goes home, mm-hmm. and his wife Rose mm-hmm. can see him.
6: Uh, yes, exactly. Well. Um, Uh, It's uh, kind of, sort of, uh, an idea that uh, he didn't want to leave Earth. Okay. Uh, And And I
1: guess he can uh, show himself to whoever he wants, right? Yeah,
6: exactly. Yes, I was trying to, uh, you know, uh, uh, express uh, my uh, idea uh, through his uh, ghost. Uh, He wanted to stay for a while on Earth, and then uh, uh, until the job is finished. His job is finished.
1: What is his job? Uh, He
6: he wanted. He had he had a feeling of uh, kind of sort of responsibility to show that you, uh, when I say you, I mean human being, cannot do anything you want to without thinking.
1: So this is kind of his mission.
6: Yes, it was kind of his mission. Yeah, exactly.
1: He realizes this uh, after he dies or even before he had this kind of, he was had this desire.
6: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Probably he didn't die right away after shooting, probably. You know, uh, most of the time, I even uh, when somebody shoots somebody, uh, it takes a little while before uh, the person dies. And, uh, you know, in that little uh, memento, uh, he uh, decided, probably.
1: So where does Ernest uh, lead us in this story? I mean, he wants to teach people that you can't be careless in life. Exactly. So so do we go through, uh, does he meet a lot of different people and help them, or what? what's the makeup of the story?
6: Well, as I told you, uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, it's... Uh, kind of sort of hard to explain uh, because it's a combination of um, uh, complicated situation uh, whatever you can call it mystery or whatever and uh, some reality. Okay, I combine those two things, those factors. So um, he is trying the whole story, when you read the story, go through the whole story, you think that you, or you uh, at least I can say you may think or you might think uh, that the whole thing is based on a revenge or retaliation or something like that but from other side absolutely say at the end of the story he says okay um, uh, he asks uh, officer Jones uh, do you hate me and then uh, it goes on and on at the questions he wants to make make sure okay, so so what uh did he when at the time he shot he shot him dead so what was that was he careful what what was his decision based on what some sort of uh, rule law or what uh and uh he said he asked that question and uh At the same time, he was going to say, okay, he was feeling sorry, okay, for uh, what happened to him that it it shouldn't have happened. Why shouldn't have happened? Because of the consequences that those consequences could not have happened if he hadn't, if the police hadn't shot him dead. So the the future in the past was not supposed to uh, go uh, in that certain direction.
1: So everything changed.
6: Everything changed, exactly. Well, so uh, that's basically what uh, So but,
1: give us some other characters that he interacts with.
6: Uh, well, the main character is Officer Jones, the guy um, who uh, shot him. These are the two main characters. Uh, Officer Jones and uh, Ernest Smith. And uh, uh, the other ones are not, uh, uh, the main characters are uh, uh, Ernest's family and uh, Officer Jones' family. And uh, then uh, the unimportant characters probably the uh, uh, officers, the police officers, the investigators, and uh Oh, I haven't mentioned any sort of names
1: uh, for them. Now, does Officer Jones, does he have some kind of an agenda? Is he trying to uh, prove something that is not uh, right or, or it's illegal or he's trying to cover up a crime?
6: Well, good question. <laughs> uh, well, I haven't actually... Uh, Uh, mentioned uh, that in the story, but uh, uh, the atmosphere of the story, the novel, it shows like kind of sort of like he he was not sure. He was not even sure if he had done that, he uh, had uh, committed that crime, Uh, from one side, and from other side was a challenge between him and uh, his, uh, like, mind, uh, just was always asking himself, okay, how about about if I did that?
1: Yeah, he wasn't really sure whether he had shot him or not.
6: Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was not sure. And then uh, when uh, he was sitting in the car and the investigators were, uh, the police officers were investigating the case, out of the out of the car the police car and he was sitting in the car and he saw his neighbor well they were investigating the case he knew uh, the, the, he knew the case but and then he saw the he saw the guy and uh, it was like very very shocking to him it you know these things that sometimes when i write is um uh i I have really hard time to explain unless, you know, at the time that I'm writing, it's like <laughs> much easier for me to, you know, write than to explain. I don't know for some reason why, but uh, so yeah, pr- pretty much my style is kind of sort of contradictory. Sometimes you see and you don't see. You think and you don't think. You want and you don't want. It's like always you, you see those uh, images. Uh, you can feel it uh, it 's not, not just in that book and my other books as well is uh, contradictory. I really uh, feel that um, the life itself is not an absolute thing that so many people think. the way they think it 's not that way. Uh, or the way we judge, we think okay it 's just me now, whatever I say is right no it 's not that way that 's what I was trying to show in the
1: story. <laughs> You say the one thing you want readers to learn from your book, is, and you mentioned some key words. You mentioned being careful.
6: Yes, being careful, at least, you know, uh, when you are careful, you can lower the possibilities of mistake. Well, that is uh, uh, known to everyone. Everybody knows that.
1: Another, but, another word you use is thoughtful.
6: Yeah, thoughtful, exactly. When, when I say careless, I'm, I mean, uh, you. if you are careless, so uh, you are not thoughtful about uh, what you do. Uh, so, and the, the main thing is you can lower it, but you cannot lower it to zero. So, this is a very, very important thing, in my opinion. The story of Life the story of the people on the planet, if they think at least at least they think for what they do for what they say before what they say what they do, what they uh, want to do, they can lower their mistakes like right? by much, not
1: to zero uh, human
6: t- is liable to mistakes right but you can you can lower the lower the range so uh, that's what I was trying to express. So you die and something happens by you or you do something, that is considered as supernatural. So whatever you do is supernatural. Or whatever, whatever effect it could or might have on other people is supernatural. Well, any reader can learn anything because, you know, people different can learn anything from this story. They have learned something from supernatural. What are those specific things? Well, I don't know. People are different. They can. Uh, you read a book, you, uh, you come up to a conclusion that is different than mine. It's like I, I cannot uh, be that specific. But all I was trying to uh, say is like uh, thinking before doing anything is very, very important. Very important. It's like chain of consequences might happen. You do something; it's like chain of events coming up right afterward, and then so you can avoid them, avoid those problems. How can you avoid? Just think about what you do. That's simple.
1: Life is a relative thing, like you say.
6: Yeah, exactly.
1: Omid, tell us how to get your book. Where can we uh, buy it online, or do you have well, a website?
6: Or? Oh well, uh, far as I know, you can uh, buy it on. My publisher's uh, website is iUniverse, and uh, all other major uh, online booksellers like Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or Book Million, or, uh, well, so there's so many other uh, is available.
1: Well, we want to thank you for being on iUniverse Radio.
6: Uh, not a problem. I would uh, appreciate that, uh, that. Thank you for your time, and uh, I hope I answered your question well.
1: That was Omid Olfett. He is the author of his book, Remember Me.
0: iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio, radio with a cutting edge.